Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. This morning we continue our series, Detour. So glad to have you part of it. Uh, In this series, we have been together on a discipleship tour. That's what we have used as the title, Detour. It's a discipleship tour. And for the last five weekends and for the next two, we're going to be talking about discipleship uh, as it's presented to us in the New Testament. Now, before I get into the meat of this morning's message, let me take just a moment to let you know where we're headed the next two weekends. Next weekend, we are going global. We're going to have a missionary with us, a global missionary who's going to be coming and talking about what God is doing through his ministry. He's one of our partners here at Grace Crossing Church. His name is Randy Young. He leads an organization, a missionary organization that has both a training school and also uh, is all about reaching unreached people groups throughout the world. You're going to be so inspired by what God is doing globally next weekend. The following weekend, we're going to go local. And we're going to be looking at what God is doing right here in our community in the Miami Valley locally. We're very excited. We're going to have Caleb Ingram, who is the executive director of an organization called Declare Dayton that I've been in relationship with the last couple of years. I've gotten to know his heart. I've gotten to know the vision. I've been a part of meeting with a network of pastors, a multicultural uh, group of pastors uh, here in our community that's been all about not just supporting and loving each other, but has been about how we serve and reach together uh, into our community to support the work of God in our community. So Caleb will be with us on the 1st of November, and uh, you won't want to miss either of these services. Now, I want to encourage you, like we do each week, I want to encourage you, if you are coming to our in-person gathering, to be sure and register online for the service. We have had about double our attendance of what our registrations have been. Now, that's really exciting, Uh, But at some point, it could become an issue for us, and we want to be aware of that. So one of the protocols that we put in place early on that we just want to remind everybody of today is if you choose to come to an in-person service, please, please, please register online to let us know that you'll be joining us so that we can make sure we have adequate and and then socially, physically distanced seating that will make uh, make everyone feel safe as we gather together. Uh, And those of us that are joining us by way of our broadcast this morning, listen, because of our new seating, we definitely have room. And so we invite all of you to to make plans to join us here soon for an in-person service as soon as you feel comfortable doing so. Now, back to this morning, our catalyst verse in this series detour. Here it is, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go, make disciples of all nations. Go, make disciples of all nations. So far in this series, we have talked about the what of discipleship. We've talked about the how of discipleship. We've talked about what it is and how it functions. I had somebody say to me this past week, they were in a conversation wondering if discipleship was a noun or a verb. It's both. As a noun, discipleship is a process. As a verb, discipleship is a practice. It's also a posture. It's the way that we align our hearts to the work that God is doing in us first, and then the way that God wants to work through us 
for the growth of the body. Now this morning, we are actually looking at the how, or, or, or rather the, the, uh, the, the who of discipleship, the who. According to Jesus, the who of discipleship is all nations. That's what we're going to focus on this morning, all nations. That word nations could be translated all nationalities or every ethnicity. Jesus, from the very beginning, had a view that was so much bigger than what the disciples understood. His view was not just for the Jews. His view was for all nations, even though they did not fully understand what Jesus had in mind when he made this claim and gave this great commandment. Jesus wanted us to think globally but he wanted us to act locally. In other words, we need to be engaged in disciple-making here when we're living where we are, in the body we're part of, in the community we're part of, but we must never neglect thinking globally. Now, when I think of making a disciple, I'll be very honest, I first think of someone who looks like me, who thinks like me, and who acts like me. But that's not what Jesus had in mind. When Jesus told us to go make disciples, Jesus had in mind a multicultural and a multicolored collection of Christ followers whose hearts would be fully set ablaze to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. One of the final things that Jesus speaks to his disciples before his ascension is found in John's Gospel, chapter 20. And says this, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As disciples, we are not just saved ones. We are sent ones. That's what Jesus had in mind. And the question this morning is, How exactly did the Father send Jesus? He sent Jesus to the all. That's how he sent him. When you read the Gospels, what you discover is that Jesus is the first one to break the religious rules and move into relationship with people who were very unlike him. He's the first one to actually cross geographical boundaries cultural boundaries, and move into relationship with people very much unlike the Jews. And as we've talked about in this series, the religious leaders did not like the fact that Jesus was so adamant about building bridges instead of erecting walls that separate. He was all about making sure that he would leapfrog over everything that he had to to get to the heart of people. And they all mattered to him. And Jesus blazes a trail that he now invites us to follow him in, which is pretty counterintuitive. It's also countercultural. So for today's um, detour road sign, I've chosen this one. Stay in lane. 
It's not uncommon when you come to a detour to find a sign that reminds you that something's going to shift in the traffic pattern. And that we are to be careful to make sure whatever lane we get in, that we stay in. Now, as a leader, I like this one. I've used this one often. Because I think people tend to move out of their lane at times. And I think what we all have to do is work really hard to stay in the lane that we are in, that we are responsible for. And what Jesus says we are responsible for is all nations. That's the lane that Jesus blazed. That's the path that he had said, listen, we're going on a detour here, fellas. I know that you are moving this way in ministry, but I'm bringing you down a new road, a new path, and I want to encourage you, when I'm gone, when I'm no longer here, I want you to stay in this lane that I have died for. Now, it is not coincidental that the very next book that appears in the New Testament After John's gospel, as the Father sent me, I sent you, it's not coincidental, the next book that appears is the book of Acts. That name Acts, that title Acts, is actually a little vague. Because what the actual book is entitled is the Acts of Jesus through his apostles, through his disciples. That's the actual title of the book of Acts in the original. It's the idea that that it is to be the acts of Jesus through his apostles. Jesus finished his work here on earth, but God's work was not finished. When Jesus exited this earth, God's work wasn't done. It was going to continue. And it was going to continue with a collection of fully devoted, fully surrendered Christ followers who were going to be radically committed to the all. To all nations, to all nationalities, to all ethnicities. They were going to be people that were going to work with Jesus on making sure that his mission continues all the way through its completion. Now, now last weekend, I shared with you the two greats from Matthew's gospel. This weekend, as we come to the book of Acts, I want to share with you two other greats, the two greats that appear in the book of Acts. The first great that appears in the book of Acts is actually the great outpouring of God's spirit among the Jewish believers. Now, annually, this is celebrated on the church calendar as the day of Pentecost, We read about it in the early narrative of of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. Jesus says right before his ascension, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. Samaritans were off limits to the Jews. And to the ends of the earth. We do not make disciples by sheer willpower. We make disciples by God's power according to God's will. And I want you to notice how far-reaching this disciple-making was supposed to be. It was supposed to be 
to the ends of the earth. That's exactly what Jesus had in mind when he said, you're going to go, I want you to wait for 10 days, and then I'm going to impart power to you, and you are going to represent me to the ends of the earth. Where I'd like to spend the remainder of our morning is on the second great in the book of Acts. Because the second great in the book of Acts gets very little attention. But it is hugely critical in the narrative of Scripture. The second great uh, that we read about in, in the book of Acts is actually recorded in Acts chapter 10. And it is the great outpouring of God's Spirit to the non-Jewish believers, to the Gentiles. This is really, really significant. But here's what we read. Before we get to Acts chapter 10, with this great second outpouring of God's Spirit, where God's empowering new disciples to go to the ends of the earth, we read one verse that leads us into it. It's the last verse of the ninth chapter of Acts. Acts chapter 9, verse number 43. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. If you're reading the narrative of Scripture, this is one of those verses you're going to just breeze by. This, this is one of the verses that we're not going to take much time to really think about what's going on here. It just seems like a pretty irre, uh, irrelevant piece of information in the narrative of Acts. But listen, friends, though this may seem inconsequential, this verse is a pivotal, monumental verse that appears in the New Testament. There is a seismic shift that's happening in this verse. Everything about the mission of God is about to change. This is an all-nations verse. Because what is happening here is God is beginning to prepare Peter for the mission he did not even really fully comprehend that he was called to. God needed to get Peter to the house of an influential Gentile, a Roman centurion that he needed to get to by the name of Cornelius. But to get him there, God has to first prepare Peter. He has to prepare him emotionally. He has to prepare him spiritually. He has to change his framework. And to prepare Peter, God doesn't say to him, Peter, read a church planning book. He doesn't say, Peter, go to a leadership conference. He doesn't say, listen to some of these great leadership podcasts. No, here's what he does. He says to Peter, to prepare you, I'm going to put you in relationship. And I'm going to put you in relationship with somebody that Dr. Martin Luther King called the beloved other, someone who is unlike him. Everything in the New Testament hinges on this verse. Everything that flows after it. 
comes out of what happens here. Because what God is doing is God's readying Peter and he's having to get into his mind and his heart and begin to transform him from the way he thinks about the world. He needs a new pair of lenses. He needs a new way of seeing things, a new paradigm. And so what does God do? He puts him in relationship. But, but this was wrong on, on several really important levels. Number one, Simon, by most scholars, is believed to be a Gentile, a non-Jew. Secondly, he was a tanner, which meant that he handled dead carcasses and dead animals. So I want you here to think taxidermy. That was his job by trade. Not only were Jews not to have relationship with Gentiles, but Jews were not to be around dead things and be around people who are handling dead things. Everything's wrong about this. Everything's right about this. Because what we see as wrong is right many times. And it's certainly right in God's eyes because God is doing something here that is about to shape and reform the way that we're going to make disciples. It brings me to today's big idea. To become an all-nations church, we must practice diverse relationships. Let me say it again. To become an all-nations church, we must practice diverse relationships. One author said it this way, our churches reflect our dinner tables. And if we want to be a church that is diverse, we need dozens of diverse dinner tables. I like that. Because I think what he was suggesting is that the work of God's kingdom in the church flows through relationships. And I think there are two things happening here with Peter and Simon the Tanner that are really critical about these relationships. Here's the first one. Relationship resolves racism. Relationship resolves racism. You want to know how we can fix the problems we're seeing in our country today? I think one of the ways we can fix and at least address them is to move toward relationship. Because I think until we are in relationship with those who are the beloved others that are unlike us, we have a very tough time of understanding. We have a very tough time of moving toward them. So here's what God's doing. God's preparing Peter. And the way he has to prepare Peter is he has to put him in relationship with someone in his eyes who was lesser than Somebody that he may have thought of as inferior. Now, he may not have thought about it directly, but there's no doubt because of his upbringing and because of his theology, this was going to violate everything that he had learned and everything he had believed. In my opinion, in my experience, what most people suffer from is not implicit bias. What most people suffer from is unconscious bias. 
where it's in us and we don't even know it. And, and listen, friends, we all suffer from it to a degree. It doesn't matter what the color of our skin is. There is an unconscious bias that is shaped by the way that we are formed in life, by our experiences, by other people. And what God had to get to in Peter was not just what were implicit biases, but God had to get to his own unconscious ones, what the Bible calls the hidden secrets or motives of the heart, things that he doesn't even know are there. God has to bring them out. It's the second thing I think we learn about Peter's relationship with Simon the Tanner, and it's this. Distance breeds suspicion, but proximity breeds empathy and trust. The only way that Peter can start to get a bigger compassionate heart is that he had to move toward. He had to move into relationship. Remember, God is preparing Peter for something big, a big mission. But to get him ready, God has to put him in relationship in a way that's going to reveal some of his cultural, some of his political biases, maybe even some of his own Jewish pride. God had to bring it out. God had to get to the heart of it. And what I believe is this, friends. I believe that if we're going to be all nations church, if we're going to be kingdom thinkers, if we're going to be about, about the all, then we desperately need relationship. Let me say it this way. I think every one of us have to have a Simon the Tanner in our life. I don't think there's any other way but that we have relationship. And not just relationship, but diverse relationship. And not just diverse relationship, but diverse peer relationship. That actually says, I am not fixing you as a project. I am not coming as your savior. In fact, I'm not here because you need me. I'm here because I want to be with you. I'm here because I want relationship with you. I don't want to be with you simply because you need something from me or I need something from you, but I'm going to have a peer relationship that makes us mutuals and honors and respects our diversity for what it is and that we're not trying to fix each other. We're trying to understand each other. You see, I think as long as we remain at arm's length from people who are unlike us, here's what happens we actually have suspicion about what their agenda is, what they're about. But when we move in relationship, what it does is it changes everything. It makes us empathetic. It helps us understand. It helps us listen better. And we all of a sudden become people who trust the heart of others. Now, what happens from Acts chapter 4, or chapter 9, verse 43, into chapter 10, is actually really wild. So, something really wild begins to take place as Peter is at the home of Simon the Tanner for many days. He's actually spending time with him. Maybe he's even eating with him. We don't know. But in the midst of that, Peter is still being faithful to do what he's always done. He's praying along the Jewish rhythm of prayer. And at the noontime hour, Peter is actually on the rooftop of Simon's home and he's praying. He's doing his normal Jewish prayers. And in the middle of it, 
he gets this wild vision. I mean, it's the kind that you wonder, what in the world did Peter have the night before? The Bible said he's waiting for a meal. He's hungry. And while he's there, he falls into this daytime trance. He's daydreaming. And out of the sky falls a sheet. And on the sheet, the Bible says, are all sorts and all kinds of four-footed animals. Reptiles, birds, everything that would be off limits to a Jew. And then the voice of God speaks to him. Acts chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Notice, notice this sense of Jewish pride coming out. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This would be a good, that'd be a good statement to meditate on for days or weeks. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now, as you can imagine, Peter is a wreck. He's wondering what in the world is going on. The sheet goes up once, he's still struggling, it happens a second time. He's still struggling, it happens a third time. The voice keeps saying to him, do not call anything unclean or impure that God has made pure. From this point, Peter's life has changed. This dream that he has was intended to both disorient him and it was intended to reorient him. It was intended to disorient what he had always believed to be true and it was intended to reorient him to the heart of God and the mission of God which was so much bigger. God's literally putting a new pair of glasses on Peter. He's saying, here's the way I want you to see the world. And I want you to see Gentiles. And I want you to see people who are unlike you. This is the way I want you to view this, all nations. This is a huge, critical all nations moment for Peter. And when Peter arrives at Cornelius' house, this huge gathering, this huge group had, had arrived. But Peter does not come as the same guy he was before he arrived at the house of Simon the Tanner. Peter, when he arrives at the home of Cornelius, this Roman centurion, this man of great power, status, and influence, he arrives as a man who is a new man with a new mindset and a new message and a new mission because he gets a new paradigm from God's view of how God sees people who are unlike us. That's what God's doing. God is reordering his understanding. God is reorienting him to God's heart. And in the process, he's disoriented. And when he arrives, he gets it. And he, reads, he speaks to the crowd, and here's what he says, verse number 28 of Acts chapter 10. He says to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or anyone unclean. 
Verse 34. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Peter is actually now affirming and validating something that he had become mentally, intellectually aware of, but perhaps is still navigating and finding its way into the heart and emotions. But he gets it. And what he gets is that God accepts everyone who God chooses, who God says, I've set apart, who actually fear God and do God's will. He says, I'm going to use you to make disciples out of those individuals. And then what happens next is absolutely the game changer. This is what changes the New Testament forever. It appears in verse 44 of Acts chapter 10. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. This is the Pentecostal, Gentile Pentecost. This is the outpouring of God's Spirit for the very first time on those who were not Jews. The circumcised believers, this is the Jews, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Friends, we are here today. You're joining us on this broadcast today because of this verse. We're actually included in what God was doing from the very beginning, but we're here today because of that verse. We're here today because of Simon the Tanner who opened his home. We're here today because of Peter who walked into his home and said, I am going to move into relationship with somebody who is unlike me, who might make me feel uncomfortable, who might even challenge my theology, but I'm going to move in relationship with them. And in the process, God reorders and reorients him to the mission of God. This is huge. And it changes everything. From that moment on, Peter's never the same. Peter is all about the Gentiles. He's reaching Gentiles. He said, listen, I love my fellow man. I love the Jews, but I'm going after the Gentiles. That's what I'm going to do. And in the process of this, as you can well imagine, some people are not happy. Leaders are not happy. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. The apostles... And the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and you ate with them. This is visceral. They're condemning and criticizing Peter for doing God's work in God's way. Now, listen, friends, if there's one thing that I've learned and that you should know about the life of Jesus, if there's one thing that we all have learned, it's this. Whenever you are doing God's will and God's work in God's way, there will be misunderstanding and there will even be criticism. It's going to happen. Mark it down. Mark it down. You'll get pushback. There will be people who will misunderstand your heart. They might even judge your heart. They, they may even accuse you of things that certainly aren't true. They might criticize you to other people 
Because when you are doing God's work in God's way, there are always people waiting in the wings that are willing to look and say, you're not doing it right. You're not doing it the way I would do it, is what they're saying. But Peter is following Jesus. He's following God. His heart is fully committed. Eventually, these leaders start to come around. Chapter 11, verse 18. When they heard all that Peter said, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Peter is now on a mission. Paul, the great apostle, who earlier in the ninth chapter of Acts comes to faith in Christ, is now radically converted. He is actually being taught and trained by Peter and the other apostles. He's getting a heart for the Gentiles too. He's understanding God's mission for him. And I think Paul, of anybody in the Gospels and the New Testament, actually summarizes so powerfully and so beautifully how we go about reaching the all nations. How do we reach the all nations? How do we reach the all? How do we love and care for the all? We'll close with this. Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those who are under the law. Next verse, please. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I may save some. Five times in these verses, Paul says, I have become. I have become. I have become. What is Paul saying? Paul is actually suggesting here that he is going to move into relationship with people to the degree that his life might actually begin to look like theirs. He's going to get accused of being things he was not. I don't think what Paul is saying is that he's losing himself in the middle of these different communities of people. No. He's saying, I am who I am, but I am willing to actually move toward them in relationship for the purpose of their redemption. Because according to the gospel, no one is irredeemable. No one. But the only way they're going to know that they're not irredeemable is if we are in relationship with them. So let me close by saying this. To become an all-nations church, we too must become all things. And listen, becoming all things means that you move and walk into the narrative of another person's story to the place that you can feel what it's like to be them.
Let me say that again. Becoming all things means that we move and walk into the narrative of another person's story to the place that we know what it's like to feel what it's like to be them. When we do that, we are being all nations thinkers. We are being all nations disciples. We are operating and moving as agents of God's kingdom here on this earth. And I can tell you this, friends. Those committed to that are gonna be blessed by God. I can tell you that. As I read scripture, that is where the favor of God rests, is on those who will choose, like Paul did, like Peter does, to move beyond their comfort zone, to move into relationships with the beloved others. People who are unlike them. So that they can know that they are irredeemable. Let me pray. And then we have one final worship song that we invite you to join us in. Father, be glorified, I pray, as we continue to journey together on this discipleship tour. Some of this may seem so basic, but it's so significant what you're doing. And it's reawakening us, God, to the reality of what it means to reach the ends of the earth. Help us, I pray, that our hearts would be surrendered, that we would be submitted to you, that we, God, would be willing to be made uncomfortable for the sake of those who need to know they're irredeemable, loved by God, chosen by God, made in the image of God, that we would add value to them just by simply being in relationship with them. Move us, I pray. Move us, I pray. Into relationship, Lord, with a beloved other. Help us, guide us, and direct us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.